0: Good evening everybody. Welcome to another edition of Forward Maryland. My name is Bill Woodcock. It's Wednesday, February 5th, 2020. And here's what's happening. It's been just a quiet week in the political world, hasn't it? Um, Really not much of anything value going on. Uh, Let's talk about cross-stitch for about 20 minutes, shall we? Uh, I have, of course, been most facetious. Uh, there has been quite a bit coming on, but uh, before we get into the meat of the matter, I need to pimp the podcast as podcast pimpers often do. Uh, this coming weekend is going to be a huge weekend of podcastery. Um, Jason Booms will be joining us on Sunday, and uh, we're going to have we're going to actually record two shows on Sunday. And uh, air one on Sunday, and uh, wait to the uh, following Wednesday to, um, to post the next one. Uh, on Sunday, uh, and on the podcast on Sunday, and you will be able to tune in on Sunday as it will be posted on Sunday, we'll have a noted Howard County activist and um, community watchdog, Hiri Haddu. Will be the guest on this show. Uh, we'll be talking with Harry about the latest, um, the latest uh, finance reports, campaign finance reports for Howard County's elected officials, and we'll also be talking about the issue of government and the issue of of uh, Howard County government and uh, development, uh, and also uh, the county's financial standing. So. Um, this is going to be an episode uh, you're going to be interested in listening to. We're also going to record a podcast with a candidate for the Howard County School Board in District 3, which would be the uh, south and southeast of Howard County. His name is Tom Heffler. And so we will be talking about uh, education issues, uh, of course, and about his campaign for the Board of Education. Uh, The weekend of the 15th and 16th, date and time yet to be determined, um, Howard County Board of Education member Jen Mallow will be on this podcast, and so we're looking forward to our conversation with Jen. Uh, The weekend of the 22nd and 23rd, um, I can't make the announcement yet, but it looks like we're going to have another candidate for the Howard County School Board in District 4 joining us. And of course, on Saturday, uh, March seventh in Elkridge, we will be co-hosting uh, along with uh, the Scott E. Blog and Ion Howard County. And um, oh my God, I know that other group is going to beat me up, uh, but I know that uh, one of the uh, one of the civic groups that arose in the uh, redistricting um, in the redistricting. Uh, um situation uh last year is also co-sponsoring this event uh so it's my apologies guys it's my fault I will pick it up next time Uh, but anyway we four organizations are going to be uh hosting a meet and greet for all the board of education candidates it's going on in Elkridge um at uh from 12 to 2 on Saturday, March the 7th. So uh, check um, the Forward Maryland Facebook page, check check the Scotty Blog Facebook page. Um, Those of you out there in Facebook land who are friends with me, check my Facebook page or check Jason Booms' Facebook page uh, because we have all posted a link to the event. So that's what's coming up on this great podcast production. Um, also, there have been a lot of things going on in this state, this county, this world uh, over this past week. Um, I mean, the first things first, uh, as, as, you know, happened mere a couple hours ago, since the recording of this podcast, uh, the president of the United States has been acquitted in his impeachment trial. And uh, I said many, many months ago how this would go down and how this would proceed. And uh, except for Mitt Romney voting yes on one article of impeachment, I was absolutely correct. So um, what can I tell you? But I'm not surprised. And so we will see uh, what happens because this has given now the president uh, latitude to do as he pleases. What I'm very curious about is uh, how the impeachment defense flows down into other impeachment-related trials or even into American jurisprudence as a whole. And listen to my point here. The main thrust of the impeachment defense uh, seemed to be that the president is doing it in the best interests of the nation, it is not an illegal act. Okay. And also, if the president is doing this and he believes that it is part of the duties of his or her office, it's not an illegal act. Um, that sets a very dangerous precedent. Um, as we know, uh, judicial nominees are subject to impeachment. And so, when will it come to pass that a judge who is up for impeachment, that their defense becomes this judge thought it was in the best interest of the bench or of the law, or this judge thought that this was part, an essential part of their duties? Um, what would stop, I mean, what is so unique about the office of the president that this defense could apply to the president, but not to a judicial impeachment? And, you know, how long does this, does this defense, you know, take to go into white collar crime? You know, uh, this bank executive defrauded or gambled with millions of dollars of people's retirement funds and threw them all into junk bonds, and the whole thing crashed. Uh, But it was the best thing that they thought they were doing for their shareholders. Um, You know, how long is it going to take before that happens? You know, some white collar case, let's say it's a federal case, of course, it goes before a Trump appointed judge uh, who's very conservative. How long is it until that plays? Uh, Maybe I am thinking about something that will never happen, uh, but I do, and I am not an attorney, but I do believe that a legal precedent is a very important thing, can be a very dangerous thing. And I can see these things going on in this case. So, who's to who's to say? In other news, um, the State of the Union address happened last night. Um, You know, it was a very political speech. There were speeches. There were points of personal theater that went on. Um, You know. No, I'm not going to say anything about the individual awards and accolades. So, anybody who's waiting for me to say something about Rush Limbaugh or the Tuskegee Airman who was on the spot given a promotion to Brigadier General or anything like that, forget it. You're not going to hear that out of me. Uh, but I will say that going beyond the recognizing important people who are in the room or telling the story. Of important people who were invited guests, as every president I've ever seen has done always during the State of the Union. Uh, to me, that those those moments, regardless of how meritorious I thought, you know, they, they just cheapened the event. Um, you know, it's it's supposed, I mean, the State of the Union is actually in the Constitution. This is actually something that the president has to do is to report to congress appear before congress and report on the welfare of the nation um so you know i i don't know i i I was not a fan um you know how long is it before the state of the union is co-hosted you know and and there's a remote location um you know let's go out to wink martindale in branson missouri Uh, Okay, so that probably is ridiculous and that probably won't really happen. But, you know, um, I just thought it was a little overdone. What's not done is the Iowa caucus. And before before I talk about the Iowa caucus, I will I will express my bias. Uh, I am a delegate candidate for Senator Amy Klobuchar in the third congressional district. So you can vote for me on April 28th for Democratic convention delegate, male, uh, if you live in the third congressional district, so yay me. Um, But uh, what's going on with the Iowa caucus uh, is ridiculous. And I think as of the latest totals I saw, I think now they're still only at 81%. The caucus was two days ago. Um, So the caucuses in general are silly, and I've always thought this. So, um, you know, here in, say, Howard County, Maryland, where I live, there are a hundred, give or take, I think the actual number is 101 or 104, but a uh, hundred polling places. And so you show up at your polling place, you know, in your primary election, you cast your vote, um, you know, and, and you leave. You know, get your little I voted sticker and you've done your civic duty until the next election. Um, That's not how a caucus works. You know, and, and then, of course, all the all the totals are tabulated and reported. And that's how the primary works. A caucus is a different animal. And to put this into Maryland primary standards, again, using HOCO as our benchmark, let's look at this. Uh, Imagine that there are only now 10 places where you congregate for your caucus, as opposed to 100. Imagine that instead of uh, being able to go from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. to vote, any time that's convenient for you, you have to show up at a given time. Um, You meet... With like-minded people, people who support your candidate, and since they're your community folks, they're probably already people you know. And then let's say, you know, you're in a caucus room and there's 100 people in the caucus room. If the person you like, the candidate of your choice, is only only gets 14 people to, you know, to turn out to support them, Um, That person does not register as 14. That person ultimately shows up as zero on the scorebooks. I mean, the tally is noted, but the impact is zero because that person's considered not viable. You have to get to a certain 15% threshold in order to go to the next round. And so in the next round, all the people whose candidates were not viable go and they go support some other candidate, you know, one of the candidates who did get 15. So, and then and then those proportions are read by the election judge and those proportions are translated into the number of delegates at each polling place sent to the state convention. So, that's how the caucus works. Um, so in a way, it's a sense of it's a little bit of ranked choice voting in a sense because, but then also some people will only get to vote for their first choice, whereas some will vote for their get to vote for their first and second choice if their first choice didn't make it. Um, it's a weird system, and it's a system that I don't find particularly small D democratic. It's a system that ought to change. And regardless of all the kerfuffle about this app, um, it's really something that just, you know, should have been changed a while ago. So, as of now, it looks like uh, Pete Buttigieg and Bernie Sanders are pretty much tied for first. Uh, I think Pete has a little bit of a delegate edge. Bernie has a little bit of a vote edge. Uh, And then we have Elizabeth Warren. Uh, Joe Biden was fourth. Amy Klobuchar was fifth. And then, I believe... uh, uh, Yang and Steyer have also registered on the radar screen um, as people who I think will maybe receive a delegate or two uh, out of this. So um, very interesting. Uh, of course, the specialness of Iowa has kind of been taken out right now due to this voting kerfuffle. And uh, everyone's on to, as Bill Belichick would say, or on New Hampshire, uh, for, the, uh, for the Democratic primary, which is, I believe, on the 11th. And there is a debate on Friday So from New Hampshire. So there you go, folks. There you go. Uh, the last item I have this evening is congratulations to, um, he's not quite yet Congressman-elect, but he may as well be, uh, Congressman-elect Kwesi Mfume for winning the Democratic primary in the 7th Congressional District. Still mighty handily, uh, very surprisingly handily. Um, I really thought that this was going to be a very close race, um, much closer than it was. I believe Mfume finished with 43%. Uh, I believe Meyer Rocky, Moore Cummings was around 22. Joe Carter was around 20. Um, Howard County Delegate Terry Hill was in fourth place, and uh, Baltimore Attorney and Law Professor uh, Michael Higginbotham was fifth. Um, you know, the, the magnitude of the win is impressive. And, um, you know, um, I I attribute this to Wim Fu long history of representing the 7th District. He was uh, Congressman Cummings' predecessor in the 7th Congressional District. Uh, and also the ads he ran. Uh, which were laden with Donald Trump attacks on Baltimore. So um, people got angry about that and they turned out to vote for Congressman Infume. So uh, he runs against someone called Kim Klasic um, in November. I think Kim Klasic was the uh, genius whose uh, ridiculous videos uh, prompted. Trump's criticism of Baltimore, um, also understand that Kim Klasek is, well, I'm not going to say, there's a Facebook group that talks all about what Kim Klasek is involved with, and I'm just leaving that nonsense alone, uh, but not some savory stuff, so, um, you know, good luck to you, Kim Klasek. uh, you got no shot, uh, you got no hope, but, you know, did you really ever, so, um, You know, congratulations again to Congressman Mfume. Uh, The one bit of sadness I will note is that uh, it's a shame that uh, there were terrific female candidates in this race who finished second, third, and fourth. Uh, Maryland still does not have a female elected member of Congress. And no, Kim Klasick is not going to win. Um, And it it still won't. And uh, I find that unfortunate. Um, So that's all I got here, folks. That is all I've got. Uh, I'm sure Jason and I will break down some more of these things in some detail. Uh, I know Jason wrote on his blog, Spartan Considerations, a very insightful uh, postmortem of the 7th Congressional District Democratic primary. So uh, those of you who have the Google Uh, Type in Spartan Considerations and uh, find the latest from the great Jason Booms. But for now, uh, my name is Bill Woodcock. You have been listening to Forward Maryland. And for tonight, I am signing off. Have a great day, everybody. Take care.